Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, November 2nd. We begin with a look at how the U.S. election results could impact Canada. We get the thoughts of a professor of international affairs on what a win by either candidate means for our nation. Next, we speak to a mortgage expert on the results of a new survey surrounding mortgage refinancing. We'll hear about the increasing number of Canadians who've chosen to refinance as a result of financial pressures because of the pandemic. Do you know the signs and symptoms of a stroke? We get an update from Dr. Ted Jablonski on the telltale signs you need to know and what steps you should take if you or someone you know is having a stroke. And finally, it is Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week. We learn about how to best protect yourself and your family from carbon monoxide poisoning. We speak with Matt Zivanov from Reliance, the furnace company. 709 on the morning news. The U.S. election is tomorrow. And questions swirl around how the outcome will affect our nation. Joining us now is Roland Paris. He's a professor of international affairs and the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. Good morning to you, Roland. Good morning. Well, let's take a look at both scenarios and talk about how each candidate's win might affect Canada. Let's uh, start with Donald Trump. What if President Donald Trump is reelected? What effect can we see in our nation? Well, I think that we'll see more of the same from Donald Trump. He doesn't, uh, he hasn't articulated a platform for if he gets reelected. He'll almost certainly continue to do what he has done. Um, and I, I think the same kind of vigilance that the Canadian government has exercised over the last four years is going to be required, if not more, because Donald Trump may feel even more unleashed uh, if he wins reelection, having survived. Uh, the uh, the uh, impeachment, having literally survived COVID and having politically survived all of the challenges that he's faced. So uh, I think that uh, we would see more of the same. Roland, what about uh, Joe Biden? Uh, I think there are a lot of people, particularly here in Alberta, worried about the impact on the energy field and what that might do with a Biden win. Yeah, and it's a it's a reasonable concern. I mean, overall, I think there would be a, a dramatic improvement in the tone of relations between the two countries. Uh, Biden has called Canada, uh, Canada-U.S. relations like a family relationship. I think we'd see a return to more respectful language after the kinds of threats and insults that we've we've heard from Trump directed towards Canada occasionally. We'd also see a Biden administration recommit to U.S. allies. That's good too. Uh, since Trump has treated America's oldest allies, in some cases, worse than his adversaries. But you're right. uh, I think there's two areas of concern. One is that uh, Joe Biden has proposed the biggest Buy America uh, plan in U.S. history, which poses some threat to Canada economically. And uh, he's clearly, uh, at least for now, opposed to the Keystone XL pipeline. Well, let's talk about the border itself between our nations, because, uh, you know, coming out of the White House, as uh, recently as last week, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said uh, that the U.S. is, quote, not going to control the pandemic. That is in President Donald Trump's White House. So can we assume that if President Donald Trump is reelected, we'll see the border uh, restrictions in place for until further notice? I think the border restrictions are going to stay in place for some time, regardless of who wins the U.S. election, until uh, the time where uh, the the situation with COVID is uh, less threatening to Canada. Um, The situation in the United States is less threatening to Canada. Right now, um, you know, of course, uh, the border remains open to commercial traffic. And after an initial dip, we saw commercial traffic uh, rise back up again whether truck or rail, 
Uh, but, of course, it's closed to non-essential uh, travel. And I think that that's probably the way it's going to stay for some time uh, until, uh, you know, the, the, the situation in the U.S. poses less of a threat to Canadians. Professor, can you talk a bit about what will happen if Trump does contest the results from the election? Say he, as it looks at, at the outset, that he does not win, but he decides to contest. It's kind of a nightmare scenario, and it's extremely difficult to predict because there are so many variables at work here. Even the election itself is so unprecedented in the number of early voting, a uh, number of people who have voted early and just the context. Uh, but it is possible there are different scenarios where Trump could contest the election. Certainly that's more likely if it's a close election result. If he's blown out of the water, then it'll be harder for him to, to make that case. But if he tries to contest it, uh, we'll probably see uh, court cases uh, across, uh, you know, potentially hundreds or even more uh, attempts to litigate specific results to try and block the counting of certain ballots. He might try to prevent uh, 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 absentee votes from being counted beyond Election Day. And, and all of that might end up uh, in the courts and eventually in the Supreme Court. Remember in 2000, the hanging chat election, mm-hmm. it took several weeks to, re- to resolve that situation. Well, in, in the case of a Donald Trump victory, if that happens tomorrow night, status quo. But if, if uh, Joe Biden wins, uh, we've got months ahead of us till the inauguration, don't we? So we wouldn't you know, see a rapid change perhaps until January. Well, in some ways, that gets Canada off the hook. You know, some people have been concerned with, uh, well, what if, uh, what if the, the result is close or what if Biden is ahead and Donald Trump uh, declares himself the winner? Then what if he then turns to Canada and says, recognize me as the winner? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, it's constitutionally, Trump is the president until the 20th of January, Inauguration Day. And there is no urgency at all for Canada to be recognizing any new government or even congratulating a winner until the uh, the result is clear. So I think that we can afford to just hang tight, and I hope they, and I expect that the federal government will keep its powder dry on this. <laughs> Could things drag out at close to January? I mean, is it possible to drag things through the Supreme Court, et cetera? Listen, I mean, so much so much has happened over the last <laughs> two years that nobody could have expected. I think anything's possible. But the most likely scenario, even in the case of a contested election, is that it would end up. Ultimately, it's the House of Representatives that has to confirm the uh, election results uh, in January. And uh, I would assume that uh, that any legal challenges will be resolved uh, by then. We've uh, seen a lot and heard a lot about the searches, Internet searches in the U.S., um, you know, regarding how to move to Canada and how to become a Canadian citizen. And I'm wondering, this might be, you know, out of your wheelhouse or it might not. How easy is it if I was, you know, for example, living in middle America and decided I've had enough, um, you know, and I want to move to Canada? Is it easy for a U.S. resident to make that move? Uh, well, if you have a job offer, there is a, a visa category within the NAFTA uh, called the TN visa that is a one-year renewable non-immigrant uh, work visa. So if somebody has a, a job uh, a job lined up, then they can apply relatively easily for a TN visa. The problem is that 
there's no travel for non-essential people mm-hmm. right now. So uh, I don't think that you'd be able to get in under those circumstances, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm not an immigration lawyer. Bottom line, behind the scenes, what do you think that uh, Justin Trudeau, the federal government, is doing at this point, prepping for either result? Oh, well, they've been preparing for weeks or longer for uh, for either uh, outcome, certainly uh, you know, they learned from 2016 that any, any outcome is possible. And, and what they will have been doing is going through the policy positions for both candidates and trying to strategize how to approach uh, the winner, uh, whoever that person is. And, uh, and, and it, it, no matter who wins, there's going to be challenges. With Biden, we talked about some of the challenges. With Trump, it's the incredible unpredictability and the possibility that he could be lashing out at Canada at any time. So it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a, a challenge, and Canadian officials are going to have to remain uh, vigilant uh, over the next four years, no matter what the outcome in the election. Roland, thank you so much for your time this morning. Pleasure. That is Roland Paris, Professor of International Affairs in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. We've talked quite a bit about the financial implications of the pandemic on various groups and individuals in Calgary and across Alberta, but we haven't focused in on how COVID-19 is causing property owners to seek mortgage refinancing. To discuss, we're joined by Rob McClister, mortgage expert with rates.ca. Good morning to you, Rob. Good morning. Your organization uh, recently uh, had a survey put together. Let's talk about the findings. What surprised you about it? Well, first of all, uh the main thing that surprised us is that one in eight people uh, say it's at least somewhat likely that they won't be able to make a mortgage payment uh, in the next 12 months. And so, you know, as you guys may know, uh, less than 1%, uh, far less actually, 1% of mortgagers actually uh, default on their mortgage. So that was a big surprise mm-hmm. number. Okay, so let's talk a little further about that. And uh, is it um, obviously pandemic-related? The province has been in a bit of, you know, dire straits getting into this. Was this just sort of the the final nail in the coffin, or or is this really predominantly related to COVID itself? Well, it's predominantly related to COVID-related income loss. Uh, And so, you know, government income support has been helpful, but uh, as people come off of their mortgage deferrals here uh, this quarter, um, you know, the government income support's going to help, but it's not going to pay all the bills. So, you know, one in 10 uh, people with a mortgage said they plan to refinance uh, for COVID-related reasons. And so where it gets kind of sticky is that, you know, a lot of these folks are going to try to refinance, but they won't be able to, at least not without paying high rates. For those people who can refinance, let's talk about when you decide it's a, it's a good time to refinance and what makes it viable for you and your family. I would think that if you're paying an interest rate above 4% and you can get 2% or something like that, that would be a good deal. But there are always fees attached, aren't there? Yeah, there's fees and even more so there's penalties. And so, you know, when you uh, agree to a certain rate like 4% and rates drop, you know, uh, two percentage points, then, you know, the lender uh, wants to keep getting that 4%. So they're going to uh, make you pay a penalty to get out of that contractual agreement. And so those penalties can be very large. You know, I've seen uh, the biggest penalty I ever saw was $99,000. That was, you know, a multi-million dollar house. But nonetheless, uh, you know, at the big banks, you know, some of these penalties for an average mortgage uh, can be five, six, seven thousand $7,000 or more. So if you do need to refinance, Rob, you know, obviously 
it could be for many reasons, whether you need to consolidate your debt, lower your payments, whatever it might be. What are some of the suggestions then that, that rates.ca and you would offer up to folks? So you have two types of borrowers, borrowers who can easily qualify for a refinance and those who can't. So if you can qualify, in other words, you have you know, good credit, uh, you have 700 plus credit score, you have provable income, you have reasonable uh, ratio of debt to income, uh, then you got lots of options. If you're not that lucky, let's say that you know COVID knocked out uh, one of the incomes in your family, uh, then you got a much more challenging uh, experience. So what I would recommend in that case, talk to a broker. You know, they have dozens of alternative lending options. So even if you can't get uh, approved at a major bank, uh, there's lots of lenders that will lend to you, even if uh, you can't prove income, uh, as long as you have sufficient equity in your house and you have a good property, in other words, a marketable property. Um, you know, some people that can't refinance will probably skip a payment if they can. Uh, most major lenders, uh, the majority, uh, allow uh, one, at least one skip of payment per year. Um, you know, if all that fails and, you know, you got backup resources, hopefully, uh, you know, whether those are lines of credit or, you know, even credit card cash advances. And we never like to tell people to borrow uh, to pay other borrowing. But, you know, if you're going to miss a mortgage payment, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, and some people, you know, I've even seen some of our clients uh, uh, take money out of the RSPs, which, again, is like a last a last a worst case scenario uh, and it has tax implications but again you don't want to default on that mortgage payment or you're going to have you're going to be paying higher borrowing costs uh, well into the future if you've exhausted all of those rob uh, what point do we decide that selling is the best option well i mean if you have no more uh safety net to fall back on financially and uh you know you're at risk of losing your house then the best bet is to sell uh, on your terms. Uh, you don't want to sell on your lender's terms. Um, you want to notify your lender. You want to keep your lender uh, notified at all times in advance. Be proactive if you're not going to be able to make a payment. And if you're going to sell your house, you know, call your lender and say, hey, listen, you know, uh, it's, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make my payment, so I'm putting my house up for sale so that I can pay you back uh, and keep them abreast. Um, the last thing you want to do is for the lender to see you've missed a payment and take its own action. It's always best before things get really bad to talk to an expert. So rates.ca, what do you do for folks if, if they're thinking, you know, this is this is a situation they may be in very soon, if not already? Yeah, so we're a rate comparison site. Uh, we compare different lenders and brokers. Um, what you really need to do is talk to a mortgage broker, uh, particularly one that specializes in alternative lending options if you have you know, COVID-related income loss or you don't think you're going to qualify with the bank. Rob, some uh, timely information. Thank you for your time this morning. Always a pleasure. That is Rob McClister, rates.ca's mortgage expert. So tough. Um, it is. These are the conversations that you, you're sitting at the kitchen table with your significant other or maybe you're on your own uh, talking to friends about it. Um, time to refinance or time to look at just getting out of the game and uh, hard, hard conversations. But when your back's against the wall, you know, what are the options? You, you have to know these options. Well, and you need to go and talk to somebody. You can't just, you know, bury your head in the sand. That's something that I would do, but you shouldn't. You should, you, you really need, you know, there are a lot of people who are in trouble and there are a lot of, you know, whether it's your financial institution or wherever it might be, go and talk to somebody because they know the, the, the issues that people are having right now. And there is help available to you, whatever, 
it might be. It may not be enough, but it may be just enough that you need to, to get you out of this. So ask for help. There is help out there for you. Well, yeah, and I think that there, there's this reticence because you're already in it financially that you can't afford it. But there are a lot of free credit counseling services because, to your point, you know, head in the sand, the fear, the lack of sleep, the mm-hmm. stress that it causes. And there, there might be an option. And, yeah, you know, who wants to leave their home? Nobody wants to leave their no. home. And, and the refinancing can be scary because you're opening up a whole new contract with an institution. Um, And uh, to that point, when we talked about the penalties, there are penalties and there are fees attached. But as somebody who has refinanced years and years ago, just to get a better deal, and you know, mortgage rates, they can go here, there, and everywhere. Um, You got to really look at how how many people look at those interest rates or just say, oh, it's a monthly payment. But, you know, if you can bring it down more than a couple of percentage points, and hit that penalty, you still could come out ahead. And a mm-hmm. lot of institutions will take on that penalty for you. So uh, I guess knowledge is king when it comes to this. Uh, but scary times, and I think that, you know, we uh, talked about it earlier, uh, how often, or how many incidents, rather, 20%. So which means one in five homes in our province deferred those mortgage rates. But sooner or later, it is just that, a deferral. You're not off the hook. But, yeah, on your street, you look at five houses, one of those houses chose the deferral method, how they're doing now, you know, anybody's guess, right? Reach out before it's too late and get yourself some help if that's where you're at at this point. At 719, uh, recognizing the signs and symptoms of a stroke, do you know what they are? If not, you're not alone, according to a new study. To enlighten us, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. The stats that you're going to bring to our attention show that uh, one in three adults, young adults, do not know the common stroke symptoms. Do you think this is because young people think of a stroke as something that old people die from? Uh, Yes, there's definitely a bit of that part, that this is something that perhaps their grandparents might get late in life, but certainly nothing that would affect them. And if you look at stats, if we're not talking the survey, uh, 10 to 15% of strokes occur between the ages of 8 and 45, sorry, 18 and 45, so in that young age group. So it's not that this would be rare. This would be a substantial component is in a younger, healthier, in theory, healthier grouping. Okay, so let's talk about some of the signs and symptoms, things that we need to be aware of if we feel it. Are there are there one or a group or how does it work? So in the survey, they talked about five different things, but to be honest, there's a three, there's a mnemonic called FAST, which is probably the most widely endorsed of mm-hmm. all. And the F stands for face drooping. So usually one side face drooping. A is arm weakness. So the notion that you tell somebody to lift their arms up and if one can't lift up, S is speech being slurred, uh, and T, time to call 911. So that mnemonic incorporates, you see three things, you do something. Um, it used to be in the past, be fast, B-E fast, and it was too complicated and people forgot. So that fast is a really good mnemonic, and those are the three main features of stroke. In the survey, they talked about two other ones, that being uh, trouble seeing out of one eye or both eyes and a severe headache of no explained cause. And both those, to be honest, like you can have trouble with vision that has nothing to do with stroke and headaches. If you're a migraine sufferer, you can have a severe headache and have, and this is not a stroke phenomena. So those are more difficult. The face drooping, arm weakness, speech slurring, unexplained, these are stroke symptoms. So if we recognize them with somebody around us, a family friend or a coworker or in ourselves, is there something we should do on the spot or is it just simply call 911 immediately? This is call 911, yes. There's very little you can do uh, on your own for a stroke, uh, but time is the essence. 
So whether the stroke is from a broken blood vessel or a bleeding stroke or a clotting type stroke, uh, the damage is done uh, with time. So as soon as you can receive therapy, the damage can be limited or reversed. So this is the most critical, the time, uh, as opposed to trying to do anything at home, there really is nothing to do but to get into a hospital or a tertiary care centre and have it dealt with directly. Aspirin, that sort of thing, not going to help? Well, aspirin's probably more effective for heart attack mm-hmm. in a stroke. If this is a bleeding stroke, not aspirin actually would be detrimental. Oh, it would actually be helping the bleeding. Right. So in that sense, um, yes, not doing anything is probably better than trying trying to intervene in some way. Maybe unlock your front door or something like that so emergency crews can get to you quickly? Oh, absolutely. If this was happening to you, um, uh, yes, things like that can be very, very helpful. Um yeah, these are always tough things, right? When when something's happening that acute to, uh, to try to have the uh, presence of mind to do all these different things. But this is a place where just 911, get people in, get out and, and deal with it. Um, Good stuff. And, and a very important, timely message for all of us. Thanks so much, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. According to the Canada Safety Council, carbon monoxide, the primary cause of fatal poisonings in North America, it's called the silent killer for a reason. And we're joined this morning by Matt Zivinoff, Regional General Manager of Reliance, the furnace company, for some info and some safety tips when it comes to, uh, well, how we can make our family and our home safe. Good morning to you, Matt. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, when we talked about you coming on a little earlier, we did get a question texted in from a listener. So let's start with that. Question is this, is carbon monoxide lighter or heavier than air? Should our detectors be near the floor or the ceiling? Uh, <clears throat> that's a great question. So they should actually be placed closer to the floor because uh, carbon, carbon monoxide does uh, fall closer to the ground. So we always recommend they be placed closer to the floor. Okay. And... That's a good point, too. You know, with the time change right now, we want to be checking those carbon monoxide detectors to make sure that they're working properly. It's a good reminder. Uh, And what people sometimes don't uh, check either is that they do expire, so they have to be replaced. And uh, all the detectors have an expiry date on them. So we want to make sure they're working, but we we also want to check and make sure they're still valid. How does this happen in someone's home, Matt? Let's uh, break that down because, you know, we, we want to protect ourselves from it, but is there a way to, to, to um, you know, prevent it from happening in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's, there's two major culprits. So usually like a gas-fired furnace or hot water tank that uh, is not drafting properly. Maybe there's a blockage in the venting. Uh, maybe the unit uh, is not functioning properly. You know, those are the two that you really want to look for uh, right away uh, so we can... You know, homeowners can inspect the venting themselves, you know, just a visual check to make sure that it is exhausting outside of the home. Um, but we always recommend to have a professional uh, come out and check the, the units. Uh, not only will they make sure that they're operating safely, um, but you're also going to get them fixed up and, and gain some efficiency so you're spending less dollars on your heating and hot water bill. And I guess that's the thing, you never know when something like that's going to happen. So could it be like a bird nesting in the venting, say, or does, it, does a leak just happen quite commonly in a furnace? Uh, no, absolutely. It could be, you know, uh, a bird's nest, a rodent getting into the venting. Um, uh, you know, that definitely has happened, and we've saw that happen before. Uh, the furnace itself may not be operating properly, uh, and that's uh, when it starts to create CO. So. 
we always want to make sure again, um, you know, it, it's worth the, you know, the investment every year by a homeowner just to have it inspected uh, and make sure that it nothing's changed since last year. Matt, do we have to worry if, if we have a fireplace in our home? Yeah, uh, that's another good one too. You know, we want to make sure that we, we get the chimney swept uh, on a regular basis. Uh, again, by, you know, if it's a, a, a wood burning fireplace, we want to make sure it's a certified expert that comes out and inspects the chimney to make sure that the fumes are drafting properly. Um, if it's natural gas, again, it's, it's a, you know, the vent goes out the side of the home. Uh, a visual inspection can make sure that it's drafting properly um, and that it's not coming back into the house. Matt, it would seem obvious, but obviously obviously, it's not as obvious as, as it should be because we hear about these stories, uh, barbecues, grills, those sort of things. They should be kept outside always. Absolutely. So when the weather gets uh, colder, we tend to want to put them into the garage and, and uh, you know, there's been unfortunate uh, incidents of that happening before. They should only be used outdoors. Um, you know, another example too are, are people starting their car while it's sitting in the garage, uh, even with the door open. Uh, the fumes from your vehicle can still uh, get back into the home. Um, so, you know, all those types of things we want to keep them outside. You mentioned when it comes to the detectors and the monitors, they have a life expectancy. But if we can delve more into those, do I need a battery-operated one? Are there ones that are wired? And and how much do uh, do these units cost? Yeah. So th- there's there's both options. They have ones that plug in. Uh, they have ones that are battery operated. Uh, we would always recommend a battery operated unit, just because if the power was to go out in your house, you want to make sure that the unit's still working. Um, from a cost perspective, you know you you can find uh, detectors anywhere from you know the kind of thirty dollar range up to the sixty dollar range, depending. Um, you know, some do smoke and CO. A combination, but they're relatively inexpensive, and we just want to make sure they're placed again lower towards the floor. Uh, you want them close to the bedrooms, uh, so that if they do go off in your sleep, um, that you're notified. So it's very important on the placement. So if you could only afford one, because they are a little bit pricey, would you say put it upstairs by the bedrooms and best place if you can only do one in the house at a time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you want it close to the bedroom. It, it seems that the those quiet times at night when everyone's asleep, that's when it's most important. Yeah, another quick question when it comes to the uh, type. I've seen the combos that have smoke and carbon monoxide. Is it better to have a combo or is it better to keep these things separate? Uh, it, it, you know, both both uh, work and do the, you know, do the job we want them to. Um, it's just really up to the homeowner preference. Um, you know, uh, I prefer the ones that are CO only um, and I have separate smoke detectors because you want your smoke detectors up on the ceiling because obviously smoke's going to rise. Um, but again, it, it, they both serve the purpose and uh, it's really up to the homeowner's preference. I, I installed one in the basement uh, closer to the kids' bedrooms and the furnace room probably about three weeks ago. And I did it without uh, my uh, teens knowing what I was doing. Then finally it was, Dad, what is this? So how important is it to let the family members know what that unit is and what they should be listening for and doing if they hear it go off? Yeah, it's a very good point. So we want to make sure that our, our kids or, you know, whether they be teenagers or adolescents, that they understand what the steps are. Um, if the if the CO alarm does go off, we want to leave the house immediately uh, and get outside and either contact the fire department or 
uh, you know, a certified professional to come and, and check and, and see what the levels are. Uh, we don't want to spend time seeing if the batteries aren't working or if there's an issue with it, just immediately get out of the house and call for help. Great reminders, Matt. Can be life and death. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That is Matt Zivinov, Regional General Manager for Reliance, the Furnace Company. You can check it out at thefurnacecompany.com. And, you know, I bought mine, I think it was about 40 bucks. And, uh, you know, it's a, a standard brand that you'd like. And you just plug in. Respect, you just plug it mm-hmm. in. That's uh, what I it's, have. it's interesting because, yeah, you, you forget sometimes about the expiry dates. But I think, uh, I think I'm good for 10 years. So this is not one of those things where you have to keep checking it. You want to make sure that it's in a space, as mentioned uh, by Matt, that is best for the entire household, close to the bedrooms, lower to the ground. But really, once you get this thing, it is a, a really a case of set it and forget it. For 10 years. Yeah. So I guess the big question would be, what would your excuse be for not having one? It's yeah, Money is tight, uh, but when it comes to safety for an item oh, like this, yeah. I've got a question right now that says, where can we buy these detectors? Well, pretty much anywhere. Any, yeah, Home uh, Depot, Canadian Tire. London drugs. I'm sure Walmart. Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, just look for the aisles kind of next to the smoke detectors. You'll find your uh, carbon monoxide detector. When I plug mine in for the first time, my son, who is 11, he's a little paranoid about it, but he walks by it all the time and then lets me know that the number is still at zero. So we're keeping an eye as on things. As long as he's on it. <laughs> exactly. It gives him a purpose. Uh, totally.